Welcome to the One Crossing Podcast. Here you can find past sermons along with other exclusive content. Our prayer is that God will move in your life even when you are on the go. We hope you enjoy this message. How are you doing today, Crossing Church? I am so thankful I get the opportunity to hang out with you today. Even though we are separated by walls and streets and towns and states, God is still moving. There is no place that I would rather be than in this moment with you right now because I believe that God is using this period of time to shape us and mold us more into his likeness. While it's not ideal, we are still able to take ground for Jesus Christ. And I am so glad that you're taking time out of your schedules to engage and participate. Just because we can't physically meet doesn't mean that God can't use us. So I wanna make sure you stay completely engaged throughout this message and the worship sets. So put some hearts up on the screen, Make sure you're active in the chat if your device enables you to do so. I said this last week and I wanna say it again this week. Your kids are watching you. They are learning from you how to worship. They're learning from you how to pray, how to trust and how to follow God. You are gonna be setting for them and for all the people around you a tremendous example. And I'm so thankful for how so many of you are responding. I heard uh, a message about an 87 year old who logged online to participate in our service last week. I've heard stories of those of you distributing food and those of you participating in blood drives. I've heard stories of you showing up and helping to make sure that food pantries are stocked. I've heard even stories of what's happening up in Macomb and I love Ben Elifritz's idea of putting Christmas lights up so that way when people are driving around, they're actually seeing the light of the world late at night. I think that's a brilliant idea. So if you have some Christmas lights, don't be afraid to put a strand up. One of the things that's been the most amazing to me is how God continues to move in people's hearts in the area of baptism. Every single week, we've had people make the decision to start their intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I know there's some of you right now that you're thinking, you know what, that's something that I've been wondering about. You have questions about that. And you were going, you know what, maybe it is my time. If you would just simply type in the chat, baptism, one of our chat hosts will get you in touch with a campus pastor and do our best to help you make that decision a reality. Just put baptism in the chat and somebody will reach out to you. If you're watching from a device that doesn't allow you to do it, feel free to call or email our church offices and we'll get in touch with you this week. Just because we're in this season doesn't mean that God can't do something brand new in each and every single one of you. Now, a while back as a church, we started a journey called Wreck the Roof. And we had no idea when we started this journey that God was gonna be strengthening our faith and he's been strengthening that faith. And so as we go into a season that is requiring more faith from us than normal, we are finding that our faith has already been strengthened. And God used that journey to not only build our faith, but to increase our generosity. So many of you have been faithful in that journey. So many of you are being faithful even during this time of uncertainty. And I am so proud to join you. And it is one of my joys to be on this journey with you. And each month we took just a little bit of time out of all of our services just to examine and see what God has been doing through your generosity and the impact that it has been having. I think we could all use a reminder of how God has been moving in us over the past couple of years. Would you take just a second and watch this video? 
We believe that God placed a calling on us as a church to do whatever it takes to reach people who are far from God. Two years ago, we started a journey and made a commitment to follow God as he led us into new communities. As part of our Roof of Expansion in our Wreck the Roof initiative, we identified cities where we felt the crossing could reach more people with the good news of Jesus. Because of your commitment and generosity, the crossing in Monmouth opened its doors in September of 2018. And our Jacksonville location held its first service seven months later in April of 2019. Together, Jacksonville and Monmouth have welcomed over 600 people to the Crossing community, and we've celebrated 77 baptisms. My name is Jeff Sisna, and this is my wife, Kenzie. We've been married for 21 years. We have a daughter that's 13, her name is Gabby, and a son that's 10, just turned 10, that's Jersey. The reason why baptism is coming up so often was, it started with me with the first uncommon that I went to. That was my first nudge. And then our son that it was nine at the time, just turned 10, he 100% was ready to be baptized. That was my final nudge. You know, I, I need to be the, the leader of the house. So it was like, okay, if my 10 year old can get baptized, I can too. I think it's hard when you're going through something because you don't see it. And then just the few things that's happened in our life after we've gone through it, We've seen how much we've grown closer to God and how much we've blossomed by going through prayer and reading the Bible more and, and having that intimate personal relationship with Jesus. Not only did you commit financially, but you showed up to give your time and your talents to launch these new locations. We truly became one church in multiple locations. My name is David Arns, and this is my wife, Janet. Um, we've been members of The Crossing for going on 18 years now. <laughs> With the opening of the Jacksonville campus, um, I remember the roads just being extremely slushy that day. And it was, you know, snow was coming down, it was wet, it was heavy, and it was, you could just see the, the tire tracks in front of you going all the way over. So, mm -hmm. yes, it was, it was interesting. And I remember, you know, just thinking, you know, will we have anybody show up for church on this nasty morning? You know, are we bringing 50 to 100 people over and it's just going to be us? But it wasn't, you know, people did show up. God brought people through the door and uh, it was exciting to see those people that made it out. I still remember um, a point where every time I would see a baptism there, that mm -hmm. was just something um, solidifying our decision absolutely yes. the commitment but there's there's certain points in your life that you'll always remember like your you know kids birth the marriage a graduation a baptism all of those points you know and Jacksonville is one of those points we expanded our reach 30 miles both north and east offering a crossing home to anyone within a 300 mile radius we make homes into old shoe factories grocery stores schools and theaters we look for empty spaces to fill with worship and you made that possible and in the same time our inside ministry started services in the vandalia women's prison created a bible study in the jacksonville correctional center and added a correspondence and prayer ministry designed to reach those incarcerated individuals with the gospel. We now have five inside locations and three .tv spaces. Check out this letter we received from an individual at one of our inside locations. 
I just wanted to send a short note of thanks. I'm a member of The Crossing Inside and thank God for The Crossing family and truly feel like I'm a member. I've taken more initiative in developing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but thanks to the church and volunteers that help bring the word inside these walls, I am feeling as though not only that I have a relationship, but that it's growing. Thank you to everyone for everything. Your generosity throughout the past two years changed lives and eternities forever. You broke barriers that previously prevented lost souls from finding Jesus. When you joined this journey, we truly believe you invited God to use your life to impact the kingdom. And for that, we say thank you and we look forward to celebrating all that God has done throughout this Wreck the Roof journey and in the following weeks to come. Isn't that video incredible? It's just amazing to see how God has been able to take what we have and use it to bless so many people. In fact, we rarely have a good understanding of how God uses our gifts. I remember Jennifer and I's first Christmas 10 years ago. Kennedy was off at her dad's and so it was gonna be just Jennifer and I alone. We'd only been married for about three months and uh, it was after Christmas Eve services and we went home and there was a young man who had been uh, coming to the church who was going through a difficult season and we had decided to invite him over to have a Christmas Eve dinner with us. And I had gone to the store and picked out a wallet and put some money in it for us to give him as a gift. Now, uh, Jennifer and I were young in our marriage. We didn't have a lot of resources. And so there was only one gift for me that Christmas. It was a pair of slippers. It's hard for me to find shoes that fit me and these, uh, I found them and they looked like they were gonna be a perfect fit and I couldn't wait to have them. And they were wrapped underneath the tree. Well, after we'd finished eating, I got a phone call. For, we'd given him the gift and then he was uh, doing some stuff in the living room and I got a phone call from Jerry, which typically happens after Christmas Eve services and after Easter services and most of the time, most weekends where we talk about what happened and what we'd like to do differently. While I'm on the phone with this young man, I see my wife get up from her chair and go over and grab my Christmas present. Now, I didn't think we were gonna be opening the presents in front of him, so I was just kind of confused. But after she picked up my slippers, um, the box that contained them, she didn't walk towards me. She walked towards this young man and she gave him my Christmas. And I'm on the phone watching this thing transpire and I'm like, what, what are you doing? Well, uh, I wasn't gonna take him back. So we let the guy, I let the guy keep the slippers because you know, whatever. But for the last 10 years, I have on a regular basis given my wife a hard time about the moment when she gave away my Christmas. Her generosity didn't cost her anything. She gave away mine. Well, for 10 years, I've been giving her a hard time. And then this week I get this message. I wanna read it to you. Hi Clayton, my name is Dan and I wanted to send you a message today. I have no idea if you remember me or not. I certainly don't expect you to, and I'm guessing you don't. I went to Western Illinois University from 2005 to 2010, and I turned to the crossing in Macomb for a short time during a difficult moment in my life. This is probably gonna sound really weird, 
and I'm not even sure if I should have bothered messaging you today, but I've had you on my mind for months. I would almost say daily, and I have no idea why. My life is better than it's ever been, all things considered, and yet somehow I find myself having a very tough time internally. I'm struggling very bad with moral and religious issues, and to be quite honest, I've got myself pretty messed up in the head. I was wondering if maybe you could provide me with some spiritual guidance because I'm seeking at this point in my life. I spent a few Christmases alone in college. And one of those Christmases was during a very rough period in my life when I had turned to the crossing. And you did something for me that has always stuck out in my mind and I've never forgotten it. You and your wife had me over for dinner one night and you gave me, you guessed it, some slippers. It was just a small Christmas gift to let me know that you cared. You'll never know how much those slippers meant to me, Clayton. Over 10 years later, I think about them all the time. You showed me a very small kindness during a tough time and it always meant a great deal to me. From the bottom of my heart, I thank you for being there for me as a young man. If there's any chance, I would really love to talk to you on the phone sometime if you'd be interested. I live up in the Chicago area and I can't attend your church any longer, but I feel like I just need someone to talk to. And for some reason, God is telling me that that person is you. We have no idea how one act of generosity, how one commitment to be generous could change things, not just in the present, but even in the future. I am pleased to report that I have talked to Dan and hopefully he is joining us online right now. I went and I confessed to my wife and I let her read the story and tears flowed out of her eyes for the next 10 minutes. In fact, when I was on the phone with Dan, I told him the entire story about how I didn't even wanna give it to him, but that it was my wife who made that possible. But we had no idea that in that moment, God was planting a seed that he would water during this challenging time and that it would begin to produce a harvest in our life and in the life of Dan in this season. So if you've seen God show off through your wreck the roof commitment, if you've seen God show off through your generosity, if you've seen God show off in another amazing way, would you just type in the chat? Would you just say out loud, God is so good because I believe that he is. We've been in this sermon series called Jesus Walks. And as we've been going through this series, the first week Jerry taught us, and it was an incredible message. And if you missed it, you can go online and you can watch it. Week one, we learned about how Jesus knows the future. And because he knows the future, he knows your future. And he walks with us into that future. Last week, we talked about the garden of pressure, about being in the garden of Gethsemane, and that when you are find yourself in the garden of pressure, there are lessons that we learn. The first one is that Jesus walked through the garden of pressure alone, so you and I don't have to. The second lesson we learned is that even though we may hear from God in the mountains, we were made to make a difference in the valley. And no doubt there are some of you who feel like you're in the valley right now. And the third thing we learned out of that message is that God said no to Jesus so he could say yes to you and me. Well, today my message is entitled, When You Find Yourself on Trial. 
Have you ever found yourself on trial? Maybe you actually found yourself on trial in the legal system. Maybe you've actually found yourself on trial in your marriage. Maybe you found yourself on trial in your parenting. Maybe for you, it was occupational or a financial trial. See, here's what happens for Jesus. He just finished praying with his disciples and a crowd approaches. The Bible tells us it's a detachment, which means that there's 600 people gathered. That's a militia unit of 600 people comprised of temple guards and religious patriots and Pilate's personal guards. They're carrying torches and lanterns and swords and clubs. And Jesus steps forward and asks, who is it that you want? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus answers, I am he. And when he does this, the Bible says that they drew back and then they fell to the ground. There are one of two things that happen. The first one is Judas, maybe he was at the front, was so surprised that he stepped back and he started to fall on the guy behind him. And then there was a 600 person human domino and all these people end up on the ground. Or the second thing is that the sheer force of Jesus just saying who he was shook them so bad that they all fell. Jesus has this kind of power, you know. One time he was being escorted out of town by a riotous mob who were planning to throw him off of a cliff. And the Bible records that Jesus just simply turned and walked through the crowd. It's so important for us to realize as we get ready to go through these excruciating moments in Jesus's life, that he has the power to bring them to a stop at any moment that he is willingly allowing himself to suffer. Look what it says in John chapter 18. Jesus asked again, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Even in this moment, Jesus is concerned about the well-being of others. He's more concerned about his disciples than he is concerned with his own safety. Then Judas comes up and gives him a kiss on the cheek. This is the arrangement he had made with the mob about how he would identify who Jesus was. What's so bizarre here is that Judas didn't have to do it. Jesus has already identified himself but Judas still walks forward and kisses him on the cheek and identifies him so that way Jesus and everybody else knows who is the one who's betraying him. It shows us the depths to which Satan had entered his heart. Then John records this in chapter 18. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? The disciples are now outnumbered 60 to one. Peter, being as crazy as he was, outspoken, spontaneous, gets so flustered, he pulls out a sword and he tries to kill a man and ends up just slicing off his ear. Then Jesus turns to Peter and rebukes him. He says this in Luke, he reminds them that he could just call on his father and at once God would send 12 legions of angels. A legion of angels or a legion is 6,000. 
What Jesus is saying is I could call on my father and at one moment, I could have 72,000 heavenly warriors surrounding me, but I'm not gonna do it. He reminds his disciples of the cup that he is now fully prepared and willing to drink. And then Jesus stops in the middle of all of this and he heals Malchus's ear. There's two ways that this happened. One is Jesus reached down and picked up Malchus's ear and put it back on his head like you would a Mr. Potato. Or Jesus just touched the place where the ear used to be and a new ear was formed and the old ear was just laying on the ground. Can you imagine all of this pressure, all of these people, the intensity of that moment, and Jesus is concerned about a servant's ear. Look what it says in Mark. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. Verse 50 might be one of the saddest verses in all of scripture. Everyone deserted him. Jesus is left in this moment all by himself. Mark goes so far as to tell us that there was a deserter, but it wasn't just a deserter, it was a streaker. This guy was grabbed by his linen outer thing and he was held by it and he just slipped out of it, but he had no undergarment. And so he just takes off naked through the trees. And then the trials began. Jesus went through six trials that evening to say evening is generous, this is probably about midnight and most of these trials will be over by eight or 9 a.m. The first three were Jewish trials. They were before Annas and Caiaphas and then the Sanhedrin. The second three were civil. They were in front of Pilate and then Herod and then back to Pilate. These trials were an absolute mockery of Jewish law. The Roman verdict, Jesus was never actually found guilty of any crime. Rather, Pilate handed him over to the Jews to avoid another not nasty confrontation with their leaders. The trial was a complete sham. It violated every part of the Jewish court system. To realize the impact of that statement, the Western world finds our foundations of our legal system in ancient Israel. Let me just list some of the injustices that happened during Jesus's trial that would have made more than one serious Netflix documentary series. The first one is that Jesus was arrested through a bribe, which was blood money. The second one is he was arrested without a clear charge. The third one is that they used physical force to intimidate Jesus during the trial. The next one is, is that trials could not be held at night or during the feast days, and they violated both of those. The next one is that they allowed false witnesses uh, to offer conflicting testimony about Jesus. So even the witnesses that the false witnesses that they produced produced conflicting stories about Jesus. The witnesses weren't even allowed to testify in the presence of each other, but they allowed that to happen as well. They asked Jesus to incriminate himself, which Jesus didn't do. Jesus was not given the opportunity to cross-examine the witnesses that were brought against him. He was charged with blasphemy and temple violation at his Jewish trial, but they changed the charges at his civil trial to him claiming to be king, to him causing disturbances and refusing to pay taxes. 
And then ultimately he was convicted and executed on the same day as his trial. We pick it up in Matthew chapter 26. Then the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent. You have to be asking what I'm asking. Why isn't Jesus answering them? Why isn't Jesus mounting a defense? Why isn't Jesus speaking back to them and telling them what's actually happening? Well, to get the answer to that, we have to go all the way back to the Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verse seven. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. There is a message in here for all of us. Jesus told us that we would be persecuted. We are told in scripture that these things would happen. Matthew chapter five says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You and I, when people say false things about us, we wanna be vindicated in the moment. We want justice right there. We want them to hear our side of the story. But in your urgency for justice here on earth, do not forfeit the reward that awaits you in heaven. Sometimes the best thing to say in your defense is nothing at all. To claim your heavenly reward, sometimes you just have to let people talk. In the middle of this trial, they begin to beat Jesus, punch him, hit him with clubs. They cover his eyes and they smack him and they say, prophesy who hit you. And it's in these moments that I am so overwhelmingly convinced that you and I could never have been Jesus. To see the very hands that Jesus created turn on him to beat him, to know that at a moment's notice, Jesus could have answered that question, not just who was hitting him, but he could have told them every sin that they've ever committed. He could have told them everything about themselves. I'm looking at this moment, I'm waiting for Jesus to do a Jackie Chan, Jason Bourne, James Bond level escape. I'm waiting for Jesus to see a hand that's coming at him and him just stop that hand in midair, like he's using the force with his Jedi powers. But Jesus is allowing himself to be beaten. He is allowing himself to experience all of this injustice. He is allowing himself to drink the cup that God had given him. But while God is the one who gave him the cup, you and I are the ones who filled it. We filled it with our sin. We filled it with our mistakes. We filled it with our unbelief. We filled it with our lack of faith. Meanwhile, Jesus is being beat. Peter is out in the courtyard, one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples. And it's out in this courtyard that Peter denies Jesus three times. As soon as he finished 
denying him for the third time. The rooster crows twice and Peter looks through the window and he can makes eye contact with a battered and bloody Jesus. And then Peter realizes what had happened. He runs away and begins to weep bitterly. Not a few hours ago, he was ready to die for Jesus and now he's afraid to even be identified with him. Isn't it amazing how quickly our faith can fall apart when it's tested? Some of you are coming to grips with just how small our faith really is, how quickly it diminishes. A couple of huffs from the stock market, a couple of huffs from the CDC, a couple of huffs from the government's briefing room, and our house collapses around us. Pilate and Herod ultimately can't find any fault in him and want no part in pronouncing him guilty. But that doesn't keep them from abusing Jesus, beating Jesus, and flogging Jesus. Pilate goes so far as to give the people a choice between Jesus and Barabbas. Barabbas was a political upriser, a murderer, and a thief. And the crowd, not just a couple of days ago, was chanting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, who were crying out, Hosanna, which means save us. Those people are now crying out, Barabbas, Barabbas. We want Barabbas. And when Pilate asks, well, what should we do with this man, Jesus? They cry, crucify him, crucify him. And in spite of all of this, Jesus keeps walking. Jesus walks through the garden. He walks through the trial. He walks through the betrayal. He walks through the denial. He walks through each beating and Jesus keeps walking. Look at the difference between Jesus and everybody else in this narrative. Mark is the one who fleed from him. He's the one who ran away naked and he chose fear over faith. Uh, you look at Judas betraying him, he chose greed over godliness. Uh, you look at Peter denying him and he's choosing self-preservation as opposed to identifying with Jesus. You look at the soldiers and they're beating him for sport. You look at the religious leaders and they're plotting against him because they wanna preserve their political power. You look at those in the political realm, those leaders are using him to realign their positions. You look at the crowd and they're turning on him. It's better to blend in with the crowd than to stand out and stand up for Jesus. Look at what they're doing and then look at what Jesus is doing. Look at his response. Jesus is healing the people that are hurt. He's speaking the truth and he's committed to his purpose. So what is his purpose in all of this? Well, the greatest commandment tells us what his purpose was, but it doesn't just tell us what his purpose is. It tells you what our purpose is. Mark chapter 12 says this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. Then the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus in this moment is loving God and loving everyone else around him and he's loving you and me. 
He is committed to God, to his neighbor, and his purpose. Here are the takeaways for you and I today. The first one is this. Jesus knows what it means to go through trials. When you find yourself stacked up with the world stacked up against you, when you find yourself in a situation where the circumstances aren't going your way, I need you to know that Jesus knows what it means to walk through trials. When Jesus knows what it's like to deal with being treated unfairly, when the things that are being levied against you, when the things that people are accusing you of, when things aren't going your way, Jesus went through the trial. He went through the unfairness of it. And when he was going through it, his purpose was not self-preservation. He was focused on God and others. In this season, my prayer is that we as a church would do the same. When you go through your trials, don't lose the focus on your purpose, even when the cost is high. Your purpose has not changed. Your circumstances have. This is a different world than you were living in two weeks ago or a month ago. The circumstances have changed all around you, but your purpose remains unchanged because your purpose is found in your heavenly father who does not change. And even though your circumstances may be piling on and you may find yourself in intense trials and hardships and persecution, don't lose sight of your purpose because God can do something in that purpose. He can do something with what he's called you to that will pay dividends that you cannot possibly imagine. Jesus embraced all of the unfairness, all of the trials, all of the hardship, all of the negative circumstances, and in doing so, purchased something for you and me that we could never purchase on our own. And so for those of us who call ourselves Christians, we use him as our ultimate example that while our circumstances are hard, while life may seem unfair, while things might not be going your way, that is not a permission slip for you to avoid your purpose. It is a rallying cry to live it out now more than ever. And I'm hoping you'll do that as we move to this time of decision. Thank you for joining us. A special thank you to those of you that choose to give to this ministry. It's because of your generosity that this ministry is possible. You can click the link in the description to give now or visit thecrossing.net forward slash podcast for more information. If you enjoy the podcast, be sure to subscribe and share with your friends, tagging One Crossing on social media. Thank you so much for listening.